0: Flyweight champion
2: of the world.
3: This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 210 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by the elusive, the infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Very good, my friend. Very good. Um, just to give the listeners a bit of an insight, a lot of the time we record these these podcasts sometimes on on a Tuesday, stuff like that. And by the Tuesday, honestly, a lot of the time we've got no clue whatsoever which guests we're going to get on on that week. So... Um, It all kind of comes together at the last minute We've been lucky to get at least two guests on For a a number of shows in a row now Um, A couple times back in the day You know, I think there was maybe one or two episodes Where we had no guests on And there's been a couple times we've had one guest on And stuff like that But um, we've done pretty good actually To to secure two But as I speak to you right now I've got absolutely no idea who the guests are going to be But I hope you enjoy them We're recording this on the Tuesday evening here Um Anyway, let's start with the review part of last week's action. Let's start um, on Friday, the 18th of October. There's nowhere else really to start, to be honest, apart from the Leocora Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. Um, A top-ranked show, obviously. Let's start with the undercard. Um, Just really one fight to mention on the undercard, to be honest. Louis Calazzo. Um, Tried to get his 40th win, but it wasn't to be for him. Um, It was a technical decision. Um, He actually lost in the 10th round, which was the final round, but he had a cut so bad over his right eye, it was caused by an accidental head clash that they had to stop the fight then and there. So they couldn't even see it out. So it ended up being a technical decision over 10 rounds in favor there um, of of his opponent, Quadratillo. Abdukakarov, I think that's how I said. He's now 17-0. Um, Louis Collazo, 39-8. and um, You know, got to respect Louis Collazo. He'll pretty much fight anyone. And he's a tough, tough, tough guy. Um... I've written him off many, many times. It's kind of hard to know where his level's at. He's been at that top level, and then he's obviously dropped since then. But you can throw him in with a prospect, and he'll beat him. So he's one of those guys. He's a a dangerous type of fighter, even at this point in his career. Um, As for his opponent there, Quadratillo... Many big fights for him down the line, but I don't think he's a world-beater, in my honest opinion. Um, Talking about the main event, though, the brilliant, brilliant fight that we got to see between Oleksandr Gvozdik, 17-0, going in against Artur Baturbiev, 14-0. Both men had a a brilliant, brilliant combined record. 28 knockouts between the pair in 31 fights. Um, Artur Baturbiev, once again... Um, you know, defends his, his, his incredible 100% knockout streak and he gets another knockout here. 15 and 0 with 15 knockouts. Obviously he put his IBF world light heavyweight title on the line and Gvozdik put his WBC on the, on the line, um, Interestingly, Govozdik was winning the fight on all three judges' scorecards. He was winning by three points on one. Um, sorry, he was winning on two judges' scorecards. Three points on one, one point on the other, and then the other judge had it four to Baturbiev. So... Cards all over the place kind of thing. Um, Gvozdik was down three times in that 10th and final round. But the actual fight itself, like I say, a brilliant fight. The first round, there was a controversial knockdown in the last few seconds. Um, Other than that, Gvozdik was keeping Viterbiyev off balance. He wasn't letting him set himself. In my opinion... Gvozdik was winning the round, and then, of course, he, th- that knockdown came. And I was getting ready to score it a 10-8 round. But, of course, when they looked at the uh, the replay... The, the, the commission or whatever actually overturned the knockdown, which I, I can't think off the top of my head. I've seen in recent times. Um, so, it, so it ended up, <laughs> rather than a 10-8 to Baturbiev, it was a 10-9 to Gvozdik. It's a bit of VAR there in boxing, almost. Um, Baturbiev did seem to have the heavier hands, though. You could see that straight away. Um, you know, the first round was a real active round. Baturbiev was circling to his right, Um, Gvozdik was jabbing upstairs and downstairs. Real nice jab to the body. He landed a few times. So it was good stuff there from Gvozdik. Second round was a close round. I felt like Gvozdik started well in the round, but in the second half of the round, Baturbiev started to land a few power shots, including one, which actually made Gvozdik hold on. Um, I felt like it was a a little bit controversial, but I actually gave the round to Baturbi. I thought he just about nicked it. A lot of people disagreed, though. The third round, another round of the same, pretty much. Another real close round. Gvozdik started well with a nice eye-catching shots. You know, he was repeating... Uh, what he'd done in the prior round by you know landing nice shots to the head and body but once again Baturbiev finished a stronger in my opinion he just looked so strong Baturbiev nothing seemed to really phase him but again for me that was a Govozdic round so 2-1 to Gvozdik on my card the fourth round again more of the same I hate to say it um, you know, the rounds were close, that's why we saw the judges' scorecards at the end and they were very different. Uh, Gvozdik boxed nicely early on, he was using his feet brilliantly, he was applying smart pressure, but again, Baturbio finished strong. Um, I felt like the round was a bit clearer to score than the prior two similar rounds, like there was three similar rounds in a row for me, two, three and four. Um, I felt like this one though, the fourth one, was probably the easiest to score and I gave it to Gvozdik again. Um, again, this, this might sound real controversial to some people listening, but I had it 3-1 to Gvozdik after four. Uh, the fifth round, Paterbiev landed a straight right hand to the body of Gvozdik, and it looked like a horrible, horrible shot. Um, he did it again, pretty much straight after. Uh, you know, Gvozdik was taking big looking shots, Paterbiev really has got that fudding power. Every shot that he throws is with bad intentions, and certainly for me it was a Peturbiev round. He finished strong once again. Um... Sixth round was a crazy round. Baturbiev once again landed a monster shot. A monster right hand to the body that made Gvozdik get on his bike. You know, this time Gvozdik did finish the round quite well. Um, you know, he seemed to buckle the leg of Baturbiev momentarily as well. I think that was a little bit unnoticed, I think, by the by the commentary team. Baturbiev came straight back, though. You know, he shook off the... Uh, if he was hurt, he shook it off pretty quickly. And, like I say, down went Gvozdik this time. But this time it was actually ruled a slip um i don't know if they showed a clear a clear um replay of that one because i i thought it might have looked a little bit um I can't remember because, again, there was two knockdowns. One was given, one wasn't. They were both, apparently, for slips. And in the end, the one that was given got overruled. I can't remember which one it was, but I think this one looked like a bit of a legitimate one to me. I don't think they showed too many replays. Um, if it wasn't, though, then for me it was a Gvozdik round. So, 4-2. Now going into the second half of the fight, Baturbiev won that round for me. Um, Gvozdik didn't really do much in that round. Baturbiev kept him on the back foot for most of it. The eighth round, both men had moments, but for me it was a Baturbiev I had it. I had it four-four after eight. Uh, in the ninth round, Buterbyev really started to wear Gvozdik down. Buterbyev really took over in the last minute of the round, especially. You know, he looked he looked exhausted to be honest, Gvozdik. and he was eating massive shots. His mouth was wide open, sucking in the air. It was a big, big round for Baterbiev, So on my card, he turned it round five-four. Um, and I actually said to myself during the fight, I said. Baturbiev 10th round KO. It just came in my head, but I didn't put any money on it or anything. And in that 10th round... Um, you know, Govozdik was exhausted, to be honest. His defense was leaky. He was fraying shots. The hands weren't really coming back tight. His guard was, like I say, quite leaky. But turbiev had so much more in the tank at that stage. The referee told Govozdik after the second knockdown that he'll give him one more chance, and then he was going to stop it. And to be honest, I liked that from the referee. Perhaps Beterbiev might have heard him say that, and that's probably why he went straight in for the kill. Uh, but the referee waved it off after that third knockdown. It was the right thing to do. All the, no- all the knock to be honest, weren't from massive shots. I think exhaustion played a big part, but Baturbiev was really taking over, and I felt like the right man won. You know, like I say, even on my card, he turned it round. I had no problem with the stoppage. Credit to both fighters. Both both men are real fighters. And in the post-fight interview, firstly, I was quite surprised by how good Baturbiev's English was. I didn't think he spoke any English at all. Um, either I've been living under a rock, or... Um, or or he's not done many interviews in English. But anyway, after the fight, he did say he doesn't care about the names. He just cares about the belts. He doesn't really care who he fights. So that is a, a kind of refreshing mentality, if you like, as, as sad as it may seem. Inboxing right now, everyone just wants the big money fights. He's an old school throwback type of guy. He just wants the belt. So that really means he wants Kovalev and he wants Bivol. So we should be in for some great fights, hopefully if they get made. But um, he seems like he's up for it. So, uh, credit to him. And like I say, Gvozdik, I think I've heard. I'm not 100% sure if it's true. But I heard he had to spend two days in hospital after the fight. So, uh, a little bit worrying there. But Turbiev once again, lets us know his power is very, very real. Uh, that's it for that one, Now Moving out now to the card that took place in Newcastle at the... Uh, what's the arena called over there again? I think it's the... Um, uh, I think it's just called the Newcastle Arena, to be honest. But let's start with the undercard. Um, Martin Bacoli got a fifth-round TKO against Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson only had about three days' notice, to be honest. We knew who was going to win the fight. Um, I suppose Bacoli probably did well to get him out of there in in, in five rounds, you know. Um, he's, he's, he's quite a tough guy, Johnson. I think he'd only been stopped twice before. Um, he only had about three days notice, like I say, so I didn't really expect too much from him, but he's so badly stuck in that, that sparring partner mentality, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to watch, you know, when he, when he took on Bacoli the other day, it was difficult to watch because he, he just prefers to tuck up and try and slip shots instead of throw anything himself. So he's just he's he's literally stuck in sparring partner mentality, which is sad because you know he was a good fighter, but he's just so lazy. He doesn't throw shots. He makes anyone he fights look pretty good. And um, if he turns up with a few days' notice, then you know he's just he's just not sharp enough to be honest to to go the distance. So he took many big shots, and um, yeah, like I said, it was a bit uncomfortable to watch. I wanted it to get stopped even earlier. To be honest, um, he should just. Pack it in now, Johnson. That's, that's his 16th loss there. 51 fights, 34 wins, 1. Drawn, like I say 16 losses Martin Bacoli 14 and 1 also on the bill John Doherty went the distance against Louis Van Pooch so Doherty now 7 and 0 it was a points win over 6 there Kieran Conway was on the undercard again he took on Comrade Stempowski 9 and 1 Conway 12 and 1 with 1 draw obviously in Conway's last fight he drew with Ted Cheeseman um, a win for him on points over 8 rounds Savannah Marshall moved to 8 and 0 TKO in the 3rd round against Ashley Curry, who had a losing record, 8-12 and with four draws. Another overmatch fight there for Savannah Marshall. Um, Lawrence Osweki was also on the bill. He took on Ricky Summers. Um, Ricky Summers 16-2 with one draw. Osweki 9-0 with one draw because they both got a draw here against each other, a split draw over 10 rounds. Um, one judge had it a complete... Almost a complete shutout, anyway. For Oswecki, he had it by he had it to Oswecki by eight points. Um, the other judge had it to Summers by one. That was Michael Alexander. I couldn't believe that. And then Howard Foster had it ninety five, ninety five, so a draw. A lot of people um, felt like Oswecki should have got the decision there. So that's sad to, to see that, really, because I also, even though I wasn't scoring it, I felt like he more than did enough. So hopefully a rematch happens there because we don't like injustice. Um, Also on the bill, Ted Cheeseman against Scott Fitzgerald. Brilliant fight. Um, What did I think of... The fight itself, I mean Cheeseman came out and he did something i hadn 't seen him do for a long time. <laughs> he actually boxed he didn 't use his face for, for, for his defense, you know his head movement was good as well i couldn 't believe what I was saying, but Cheeseman was elusive, you know, not as elusive as I assume, of course, but it wasn 't what I expected from Ted Cheeseman. Um, I felt like he racked up quite a few of the early rounds again, perhaps I was swayed by the sky commentary i 'm not afraid to admit that I was listening to it with the volume on. And, um, or watching it with the volume on. And I felt like he racked up quite a few of those early rounds. I mean, I wasn't scoring it strictly. Um, Cheeseman was, in my opinion, in control early on. And Fitzgerald came on strong in the later rounds, in my opinion. Um, which I felt quite surprising. Because Fitzgerald, again, I said it, he gassed out a tiny bit against Fowler. And Cheeseman, so, so fit. I thought if anyone was going to have any... Any success late on, it'd be Cheeseman. I said that on last week's show, but it was the complete um, opposite of what I said. So, yeah, quite a shocker there. But in the end, um, Ted Cheeseman lost a unanimous decision to Scott Fitzgerald. I think the scorecards were a little bit wider than what they should have been. Um, Two judges had it to Fitzgerald by three. The other judge had it by two. That, of course, was for Cheeseman's British welterweight title. So he's now been... Um, Sorry, super welterweight title, he's now being uh, relieved of that belt, so Scott Fitzgerald, the new British champion and credit to him, again, he's one of those guys he's not going to be fighter of the year he's not going to be British fighter of the year because we've got people like Josh Warrington and others, but he deserves an honourable mention now for taking on Anthony Fowler and beating him and of course taking on uh, Ted Cheeseman and beating him in what was seemingly 50-50 fights, if not 60-40 fights to his opponents, so I like what he's doing there, Scott 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 Fitzgerald, you can't really help, but like him, in my opinion. Uh, The main event, though, Lewis Ritson now 20-1, and a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Robbie Davies Jr., who is now 19-2. and Good win, to be honest, from Ritson again. The first round was a brilliant round. I felt like Davies started nicely. He was outlanding Ritson, even though at the end of the round, I thought to myself, to be honest, Ritson probably did land four of the five best punches landed in the round. Um, As the round went on, Ritson did have a great little spell where he was teeing off on Davies. But then again, Davies responded and had good success of his own. It was a brilliant last minute in the first round. Uh, It was a super tight round. I I felt like Ritson might have just done enough, though. Uh, The second round, Davies Jr., for me, won that round. He came out and once again tried to push Ritson back. Ritson looked stronger than I thought he would have looked against Davies, but Davies had more success, and I felt like he won that round. Um, I did notice that Robbie Davies Jr.'s head movement was letting him down a bit. Um, he seemed to not really move his head. The third round, once again, I did give it to Davies. Again, it was a nip and tuck close round. It could have gone either way. It was really um you know, becoming quite a quite a quite a tough thing to do to score the fight. Both men were taking turns to punish the other guy. But again, I had it two one to Davies after three. The fourth round I had it to Ritson. I felt like Davies started well, Ritson ended well, he did the better work for me. Um Fifth round, again, for me, a Ritson round, but another real tight round. Uh, The sixth round, another tight round. Controversially, I gave it to Davies Jr., but again, it could have been a Ritson round. Seventh round, brilliant round for Ritson. One thing that impressed me the most about him was his excellent jab. I mean, he had a real ramrod spiteful jab and he caught davies with a few uh, a few nice nice jabs uh, you know again and again in that round so for me 4-3 to ritson after 7 um i did say on last week's show that davies's you know davies's chin would be tested and it was and he showed a good he showed a good chin as did ritson uh, the 8th round ritson round for me again um, but again, it was a close round. The ninth round, for me, Davies Jr. won that round. Davies Jr. had Ritson pinned on the ropes for the first time in the fight. Ritson appeared perhaps a little bit fatigued as well. So I had it 5-4. Um, and then in the 10th round, it was a close round. It could have gone either way. Um, I think I just might have just edged it to Davies Jr. So I had it 5-5. Five, five. And then, of course, going into the final two rounds, where it all... You know, it was all up for grabs. Uh, Ritson, for me, won the 11th round. And then, of course, the 12th round. What an excellent round. Um, You know, certainly a contender for round of the year. It was just unbelievable. Both men were letting their hands go in big combinations. Both men looked in danger. Ritson might have just edged it. So, for me... 7-5 7-5 was my final card. Um, I was really impressed with, with Ritson's gas tank. You know, he's known to be a quick starter who burns out as the fight goes on. But no way, you know, he proved the that was wrong. One judge had it five points to uh, to, to Ritson. That's quite wide because I had it by two, you know what I mean? Um, the other judges had it by four, I think twice. So, um, yeah, a little bit wide, I suppose, on the cards. But um, the right man won for me anyway. And credit to Ritson, because I did not see that coming. And talking of the Prediction League... Let's revisit that. I don't think we did too well, to be honest. Uh, let me go back over that. The listeners went with Ritson by knockout. So did you, I went with Davies on points. We didn't gain anything there. Um, I went with Govozdik on points. So did you, But the listeners went with Beterbiev by KO. So they gained a point. And then um, we, myself and you, we both went with Fitzgerald to win on points. But the listeners went with Fitzgerald for the knockout. So we both gained a point. So one point gained a piece, pretty much. Me, you, and the listeners' eyes all gain a point, so the scores pretty much stay the same in terms of the gap between my leading, uh, my leading um, number one spot and you guys, which I think share a spot, share second place, same points. Um, but that is it, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBA Super Featherweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Andrew Cancio. Andrew, welcome to the show, my friend.
0: Hey, how's it going? Very well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's
3: a pleasure to have you on, Andrew. It really is. Um, obviously, it's the first time you've been on this show. Our listeners probably don't know too much about you. Um, I just think it's important to give them a, a little insight. You know, you turned pro March 2006. By the end of 2006, you were 5-0 and with two draws. Not the perfect start. Were those draws controversial ones looking back now, Andrew? I know one was, of course, on your debut, and you've gone on to achieve what you've achieved.
0: Yes. Yes. They were, uh, they definitely were controversial. Uh, the one draw that I had, I think in the the very first one, um, I beat the crap out of the guy. I dropped him. It was a four round fight and I don't, um, I don't understand how they gave me a draw, but it is what it is. And, um, we, uh, we kept, uh, we kept pursuing, uh, pursuing our career and, uh, and, um, all the hard work and dedication finally paid off. It wasn't a perfect star, nor do I have a perfect record, but I feel a couple of losses are controversial. Um, the one thing that is working for us so well now is, um, is uh, we're, uh, we're finishing these fights off instead of letting them go to the scorecard and um, just putting our uh, our craft together finally. You know, I feel like um, this is my time and i uh, never felt this fit this before, and, and um, the way I lose weight now, it's a lot healthier and everything, so our training regimen is definitely working out to our favor.
3: And like I say, you've made it right to the top of the tree, which is amazing. Um, You know, you haven't had it easy. You you haven't been the luckiest fighter, that's for sure. You mentioned a couple of losses, um, obviously four in total. But to be honest, three of them were close fights. I mean, two majority decision losses, one unanimous, but it was still a close fight. The only loss, obviously, that was a clear loss was, was the Joseph Diaz Jr. loss. But that fight actually... Almost became a turning point in your career, Andrew. Because what you've done since that loss, you took a bit of time out. What you've done since that loss is nothing short of excellent. Um, how do you how do you assess that Diaz Junior fight looking back now, and obviously the improvements you've made since then?
0: Oh yeah, um, you know it's the fight that I want to get back. I want to um, I want to avenge my loss to him. Um. I feel like I'm a way better fighter than I was when I fought him back in the day, and I think um, this time I'll knock him out. Uh, I'm I'm, not, I'm actually sure that I'll knock him out. I am, I want that fight bad. Um, it's a it's a loss that definitely has motivated me to keep training hard and and to get myself back um, back up there, and uh, I hope to uh, to face him in 2020. and Hopefully everything works out. Well, with this fight coming up November twenty third against Rene Alvarado, my mandatory. But um, that fight definitely was a turning point in my career. I thought I was retired. I took some time all, uh, away from the the sport, the gym, you name it. I um I didn't didn't do anything for about almost two years. So, and then ever since then, I've just been on a uh, a rampage since then, and um, I want to continue. Um, you know turn up the division, and I, I, I JoJo knows I wanna I wanna fight him. I want that rematch, and I would love to give him a, a title shot, you know, for me to get that rematch.
3: Yes, yeah, interesting you say that. We had Joseph Jojo-Diaz on, on last week's podcast. He actually talked about um, he definitely wants to face you in 2020, so it's good to hear you both talking about that. Um, I know you mentioned there about the time that you took off. In what period of your career, Andrew, did you actually take off and retire for a while? Because I heard that you went back to a normal job. What what stage of your career did that happen?
0: Um, well, when I for sure was retired, retire, retire was after the Jojo-Diaz fight. Oh, wow. Um I didn't go to the gym. I didn't even watch boxing. I was I was fed up with it. I was um, I was tired of everything. So I, I um I was already working a full time job, but I just ended up saying I'm done. I'm retired. I told everybody I was retired, and um you know um some things changed in my life where I um the itch came back, and uh, my kids wanted to see me fight again, and um and then I just felt like I had a lot more to prove. Um, then that Jojo Diaz fight and, um, and I, I, um, I had to come back. I had to, I had to show, show the people that that wasn't me. That wasn't, the. I, I know that I can do a, a way better job than that. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I proved it, you know, getting, um, getting my butt kicked in front of, um, thousands of people and, you know, fans watching around the world, you know, was pretty embarrassing. So, um like I said I, I've um I've worked on my craft and worked on getting back up to the top. That way I, I can I can go and avenge my life. And uh that's what I, I plan on doing and hopefully uh hopefully in twenty twenty.
3: And you mentioned there your son, your daughter, they convinced you to make a return to the ring. Uh you did exactly that. Like I say, you've now gone on to be a world champion. Is that is that one of the best decisions you've ever made in your life, Andrew?
0: Oh yeah, of course. Um uh, you know, had I not dedicated myself again and worked my way back up, you know, I wouldn't be sitting where I'm at right now. Um, I would never have accomplished my lifelong dream and and goal. So, I, I definitely, I'm I'm so glad that I, I I did take that decision and 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 uh, came back at full force.
3: And that Diaz fight, you know, it was over three years ago now. You were out the ring, like you said, almost two years. I think it was 19 months following the fight. You decided to move up to super featherweight. Um, You know, your results, like I say, have been brilliant. I'm I'm guessing you probably feel a lot stronger at 130. You've had four fights, four wins, three by KO. And, of course, you've gained a nice shiny new belt. You feel a lot better at 130?
0: Oh, yes. Um, 126 was just a little too hard. Actually, it was real hard for me to get there. Um, I'm a big boy and it was just, I, I'm glad that whenever we took the fight against the undefeated, uh, uh, Russian, I forgot, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I believe Adar, yeah. uh, Adar, he, he, we fought that WBA, uh, continental belt at 130 and that's what got me ranked. And, uh, my coach didn't like it. He wanted me to go to back to 126, but I told him all my my best fights have been at 130. I I remember I fought Jerry Balmontis at 130 when he was uh, 18 and 1 and I I and I beat him unanimously and I believe I fought Rene Alvarado at 128 or 130 when we first fought. So I feel really good at 130. Um I'm able to move around just fine. I um I don't deplete myself. Um I'm able to just concentrate on the fight and um and I get down there fairly, fairly easy, just with you know, following my strict, uh, my strict diet and and doing all the right things. But yeah, I definitely feel way better at 130 than 126.
3: And I want to go back to February 9th of this year, your world title challenge against the undefeated Alberto Machado. Uh, You know, you were the underdog going into the fight. It was filled with drama. You were down in the first round yourself. You got back up at the count of nine, but you battled back and you ended up dropping Machado three times in that fourth round, all from body shots. Talk me through the fight itself because it was a crazy one. And of course, what's that feeling like becoming world champion, finally achieving that dream?
0: Well, the first round, I, I had a lot of jitters in the back of the dressing room. I was really, really nervous, really uh, kind of scared. I didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, I was 36 minutes away from uh, accomplishing my, you know, my dream and becoming a world champion. So I had a lot of emotions, a lot of uh, just a lot, a lot of emotions going through me. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop shaking in the dressing room get out to the fight. So the same thing after the first bell rings, I I figured they would go away like they normally do. And, you know, it was a pretty close round. Oh, I would say I was doing good, doing good. And then, um, kind of fighting timid. And, um, he caught me with the right hook, followed up by a left uppercut. And, uh, before I knew it, I was down on the ground and, um, I was like, Oh shoot. You know, this is uh, this wasn't supposed to happen. And, um, I get back up from the canvas and I just, you know, I've been down before. been down by Rocky Juarez. He put me down, and uh, you know, I kept my composure um, and continued on fighting. But this time, I was pressuring him instead of fighting timidly. I mean, that that knockdown definitely woke me up and it, it snapped all the jitters out. Cause now I was behind on the scorecards, and I didn't want him to think that I was um, that I was finished. So I started slowly putting my punches together. By the time the first round ended. Um, get back to the corner. Everything's good, and we go out there and we start landing our combinations, putting pressure on them. And um, I believe the third round, the third round, my coach comes back and says, "All right," he goes, "You're you're focusing on the head too much." He goes, um, "He goes, which is beautiful." He goes, "You're landing your shots." He goes, "Let's work on the body of this round." Go out in the fourth round, <laughs> land a straight right, straight, right on the right on the button on the stomach. Uh, and um, he goes down, and then after that, I continued just going after the body. I didn't let up, and then um, before I knew it, um, the referee called it after the third knockdown, and um, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I was jumping for joy, of course, and I just, I couldn't believe that we weren't going to scorecards. Like, right then and then, I knew that I was a world champion. And, you know, a lot of emotions ran through me. You know, I, you know, I was in tears. I was I was happy. Just everything that night came came true, and then it, it felt even better doing it um, in my own backyard at Fantasy Springs in front of my 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 friends, my family. They were all there. It was a sold out arena, and and it just it was it was a, the best feeling in the world. You can say. And I'll never forget
3: that night. No, I'm sure you won't. February 9th, 2019. I mean, like you say, in front of your family and friends, being the underdog, becoming a world champion, going that hard road which you've gone up to get there. Um, Of course, you had the rematch in June. Again, you stopped him with a body shot. This time in the third round, you really did close that. That chapter there, the whole saga with, uh, with Machado, with another bang, and then of course talking of rematches, the upcoming world title defence for you against Rene Alvarado, a man that you mentioned you stopped him in eight rounds back in December twenty fifteen. Um, Rene is another guy who you know has worked his way up. He's seemingly improved since that fight. But do you see this fight going pretty much the same way as the last one? You know, knowing this guy so well.
0: I do. I feel like I've gotten a lot better then when i faced him back in 2015 um i feel like i'm gonna be able to box and slip his punches more and um i'm gonna go to the body i love going to the body i know he's a he's a come forward type guy and he he's gonna bring it but i just i just feel like i'm mentally strong physically strong i'm i'm i know i know um I see things a lot differently in the ring now. It's a, um, it's like it's slowing down for me, uh, where I can see these openings a lot clearer than before. And um, like I said, I got a good team behind me, and I, I, I feel like I, am gonna, gonna retain my, my title once again. Like I've been putting in the work in the gym, and like I said, I know he's gonna come with everything, and I'm, I'm giving everything in, in the gym as well. That way, we're well prepared for twelve hard rounds.
3: And I'm sure that you probably know this more than, more than a lot of people, but obviously you can't overlook any opponent at the very top level. But because you know Alvarado so well, has it been difficult not overlooking him? Because obviously there's big fights like Diaz out there that, that you want. Has it been a difficult task trying to just stay focused on one, one guy that you've boxed before?
0: No, no, it's not hard at all. Uh, like you said, I want the bigger fight. So in order for me to do that, I have to stay focused. I have to stay focused to make sure I, make sure I handle the task in front of me first and foremost, and then after that, then we can, we can secure our future having bigger fights. So for me, staying focused is easy. I got, I got my kids. I got, I got goals in mind. I want to buy a house, and in order for me to do these things, I got to keep continue winning and getting bigger paydays for me to do that. So. It hasn't been hard for me to focus. I I want to go out there and showcase why I am the 130-pound world champion.
3: And again, Joseph Diaz last week told me that he'll be fighting Tevin Farmer at some point in January. Um, he basically said he, he's going to fight him then. Of course, he plans to win. And then after that, he'd love to box you. He'd love to pick up you know, another title before the end of 2020. But... One thing at a time, um, Diaz against Tevin Farmer, I'm not quite sure who'd be the favorite. I'm guessing it'd probably be Farmer. If that fight does end up happening, who do you believe wins that one, Farmer and Diaz?
0: I believe Farmer takes that fight. If JoJo wins, that'd be great. That way we can have a unification a unification uh, rematch for a lot of money. But I personally see Tevin Farmer make it a miss and just outboxing him. And if he does, like I said, I don't care who it is. I, I um I tell other other um reporters that I don't care who it is, it could be Burchel, Jamal Herring, Lamont Roche, the winner of those two, Tevin Farmer, Joe Diaz, it doesn't matter. I wanna fight the best out there, I want the big paydays and that's what I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna do in twenty twenty, hopefully. Like I said after I get past uh Scott Williams past November twenty third then, um, you know, I don't care who it is. But in my opinion, I see Tevin Farmer outboxing Jojo Diaz.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of people would probably agree with you, to be honest. And this question I'm asking everybody at the minute, Andrew. Joshua versus Ruiz. Who wins the rematch in December in Saudi Arabia, in your opinion, my friend?
0: That one, I would have to say is a (laughs) toss-up. Andy Ruiz, he got caught, he got dropped. And it can happen again. And maybe uh, Joshua keeps his composure. Um, keeps his chin down, doesn't get caught, doesn't let uh, Andy Ruiz uh, get inside and throw the combinations that he allowed him to throw. So, but Andy Ruiz has his has his number. He stopped him, he hurt him. So I feel like that one's a 50-50 toss-up. I think it's going to be a great rematch, and you know, best of luck to both those fighters. But I I see that
3: fight being 50-50. Yeah, we're all going to be watching it for sure. And finally, Andrew, my last real question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot a tiny bit here. Um, i like to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas. Um, who would you say is your favorite fighter from the UK? It can be a guy that's retired 100 years ago. It can be a guy that's still boxing today. Who comes to mind when I ask you that question, if you know your your UK boxing? <laughs>
0: uh, Ricky Hatton was
3: from the UK, right? Yes, sir. Uh,
0: he I loved watching him fight. He would be my favorite fighter. I um, I loved watching all his fights. I was rooting for him against Floyd Mayweather. I feel like he was a genuinely nice, humble person. He likes drinking beer just like I do. Um, I I was a I was a huge fan of uh, of Ricky Ricky Hatton. You know, I loved how he put on weight after the fights and they called him Ricky Fatton. I you know, he loved the burgers. I, I followed his career, and I, I definitely do love his, his come-forward style, given ang- angles. I, I was a huge fan of Ricky Hatton.
3: Yeah, that's a very popular answer. It's funny to hear you say that. He's, uh, yeah, he's loved not just in the U.K., but also in, in all parts of the world. And just finally, Andrew, have you got any closing words just to our listeners before I let you go? Obviously, you've got a lot of guys over here in the U.K. that are going to hear this interview. What's your message to your potentially new supporters from this side of the pond?
0: Check uh, me and uh, Renee Alvarado out. Well, I'll defend my title on November 23rd, live on the Zone. And uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy the show and become fans of uh, me and follow me on Instagram and Twitter um, at Andrew Concho and then uh, El Chango 130 on the Instagram. And uh, yeah, just tune in and um, if you guys like what you see, um, become a fan of mine. Uh, you know, I'd, I would love that. I'd Love to have uh, UK fans out there. That'd be
3: awesome. Excellent. Very well said, my friend. Listen, Andrew, it has been a real pleasure interviewing you this week. Best of luck with your fight on November 23rd at the Fantasy Springs Casino, and I hope that we can catch up sometime after your win.
0: For sure. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it.
3: Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Ayaz, what you got?
2: Cecilia Breakfast has signed a multi-fight prom- promotional deal with Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing. The agreement will, uh, will see the undisputed world champion fight on Sky Sports in the UK and designed in the US. To- Tom Loffler, however, remains her as an advisor.
3: Yeah, I mean, Cecilia Brackhouse, pretty much recognised by everyone at the minute. Aside from uh, some crazy people, as the best fighter, the pound for pound number one in the female side of the sport. So it's a big signing for Eddie Hearn. A lot of people bash Eddie Hearn for this and that, you know, each to their own. But you've got to say, he's he's a powerful man in boxing and he is doing a hell of a lot for women's boxing. You know, he's obviously had Clarissa Shields on his cards. Um, he's had you know, Katie Taylor on multiple, multiple big shows. Too many actually. She gets she gets um she gets herself on every show. I mean I'm sure she'd be on the Joshua Undercard if it wasn't gonna be a problem in Saudi. Obviously Natasha Jonas as well. Um I got a feeling yeah, he's he's also got Terry Harper as well, who I think's fighting perhaps this week or the week after. Um, so, yeah, you know, he's, he's doing a lot for women's boxing, and I suppose he doesn't really need to. You know, he's, he's got a lot of male fighters, but credit to Eddie Hearn, because this, um, this is brilliant for women's boxing. He's doing, he's doing more than any other leading promoter in the world for women's boxing. So, got to take your hat off to him, especially if you're a fan of women's boxing. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we see those big fights with Brackhouse and a few others.
2: Kubrick Pula with first rider up Booker in a heavyweight class on the undercard of Harry V. Roach Jr. on November the 9th.
3: Yeah, um, you know what, Kubrat Pulev. I mean, I really, really rate him. You know, he he's obviously still got that one loss, which came to Vladimir Klitschko. I put him right up there. I've always said it for years and years. Him and him and Povetkin, I would have thought would have been a brilliant fight. I wanted to see that years and years ago. Now since that Vladimir Klitschko fight. I just feel like his opponents have been pretty bad. And I mean, I'm going to go back and have a look. After that fight, he took on George Arias, okay? Um, You know, he he went the distance with him. Then he took on Maurice Harris. Then he took on Chisora. He beat Chisora easy, even though it was a split decision, which was a complete joke. I remember betting on that. He he toyed with Chisora. Uh, Then he took on Sam Peter for for a reason that I don't understand at all. Then he took on Kevin Kingpin Johnson, who we spoke about in part one. Then he took on Huey Fury. Good win, fair enough, but Huey Fury, you know, other than that that fight against Joseph Parker, still a little bit untested. And, you know, he, he cut Huey Fury early on and he controlled everything. It wasn't a hard fight for him. Then he took on Bogdan Dinu, and he stopped him. Then, obviously, that controversy happened after the fight with that woman and all that. Forget about that. I don't want to go into it. But it just seems like he's treading water, and he's getting older, you know. Kubrat Pulev's 38 years of age now. I don't understand what he's waiting for. Um, I, I just I don't understand what's going on. It's like, he's now with top rank, so I, I'm, I'm expecting them to deliver something big for him. But I don't really get what's going on, because, you know, his last fight, as I said, against Dinu... Who I think was coming off a loss. I think Dinu was coming straight off a loss to Jarrell Miller, and um, he knocked him out with ease. And now he's fighting this guy here. And I just can't understand the logic behind it. But um, what's he doing? You know, why isn't he fighting a Joseph Parker? Why isn't he fighting a Dillian White? Why isn't he fighting? Many guys, like a Dubois, there's so many, so many much more interesting fights than this. So I don't know what he's doing. He's just treading water, and he has been since that Klitschko fight in 2014. I'm almost um, ready to to throw the towel in on on Pulev. What is he doing?
2: Yeah. um, Luis Neri will face Emmanuel Rodriguez in a bantamweight clash on the ward of his Ortiz undercard.
3: Ah, oh, this is a brilliant fight. I, I heard it got made the other day, and I think I tweeted about it. I really, really like that fight. Obviously, Lewis Neary's been involved in a couple of dodgy things, but as as for his actual boxing itself, he's a brilliant fighter. 30 and 24 knockouts. Um... Even though Emmanuel Rodriguez got smashed by Inoue and he looked terrible, let's not write him off. You know, he showed before that fight he's a real good fighter and he's a mover as well, which I think brings an interesting dynamic to this fight. Um, I'd probably favor Neary because I think he's a bit special in Luis Neary, but there needs to be drug testing for it and I think it, it's a brilliant fight. I mean, it's, it's 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 a fight that I feel like both of them need at the minute because Luis Neary... You know, since beating Yamanaka, again he's gone on a little bit of a weird run. You know, Jason Canoy, Renson Robles, McJoe Arroyo, fair enough. He beat Payano, even though I'm a bit, I'm a bit kind of, I don't know, I'm not sure on Payano. I don't think he's that great anymore. I think he's he's pretty quickly kind of washed up a bit. Um, and now he takes on Rodriguez, who, like I say, is is a brilliant fighter. So that that's a very interesting fight and. That's one I'm going to be tuning into. That's a brilliant fight. Please don't... If you're listening to me now, please don't overlook that fight. That's a cracking fight for the calendar.
2: And finally, Anthony Krulla will face Frank Eurega in a lightweight clash on November the 2nd at Manchester Arena.
3: Oh, boy, oh, boy. I'm going to try not to go in too hard on this. Um, Anthony Krulla, obviously we know it's his farewell fight. He takes on Frank Uruquigia or whatever his name is. Um... it's it's, it's hard it's it's hard to not go in on this because the guy I mean I think he's beaten about 5 or 6 people with winning records he's got a record of 13 and 1 with 1 draw in his last fight he got a draw against Ivan Thomas who was 9 and 0 Um, Ivan Thomas just got knocked out by Devis Boschiero Please, if you don't know who that is, box rec Devis Boschiero. Luigi's not gonna like it, but I've said it before, Boschiero is one of the paddedest records I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> um yeah, so he drew with a guy that got sparked by Boschiero. Um his other loss was to Edis Tatley, who, of course, we saw box Tiafimo Lopez and get stopped by him. Obviously, no shame in that, but Edis Tatley's not a world beater. And um, Anthony Cruller takes on this guy here. Again, I can't even really say his last name. Kiaga or whatever. I-, I just don't see the point in it. I was having a little bit of a debate on Twitter. Someone said, oh, it's his farewell fight, you know, just, just be happy with it, you know, or, or don't watch it. I'm going to watch it because I watch everything, but... You know, I think it speaks for itself when Nigel Ben's coming back after 23 years out of the ring, and he's facing someone who's a much, much, much bigger threat than this guy here from Spain. Um, you know, not that I'm condemning what Nigel Ben's doing, but I just think it, it puts things into perspective. Um, there's so many other guys that Crawler could have fought. Why not Tommy Coyle? Why not go into a fight like that? I think he would have beaten Coyle. Or just anyone, you know, a, a British name. It can be a British name that's under that level. Let's have a look, actually, who, who he could fight in Britain. I'm going to look at the British people on BoxRec. So, obviously, it's not going to be Lee Selby or, 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 or Luke Campbell. It's not going to be Ricky Burns. He fought him already. Why didn't he fight maybe Stephen Smith? Why didn't he fight maybe Scott Cardle? Um, Liam Walsh? Um, any of these guys, you know? Any of these guys. Even, like, Lucas Blingel who I think is a, is a decent fighter he's 12 and 0 though why not someone we actually know you know like why not you know and the guy could have put up a good effort and we we could have seen him progress onto something like why is he fighting this guy i don't know but don't don't get get me wrong i think crawler's a complete legend there needs to be a film made about him one day um his story is just unbelievable i love crawler to pieces i really do but this is it's a bit of a pointless fight it's going to be a bit of a sparring session in my opinion Hopefully I'm not being too negative once again. Is that it for the news, Ayaz? Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much. I as right moving on pretty quickly now to the preview part of the show. This one takes place tomorrow, Friday the 25th of October at the Allianz Cloud in Milan. We get to see over here Francesco Patera 22 and 3. He defends his EBU European lightweight title against Domenico Valentino. Um actually this guy is undefeated. He's 8 and 0. Well, let me just have a quick little look at him because uh this could perhaps be a decent fighter. Uh, let's have a little look. Dominico Valentino from Italy. 35 years of age. Um, oh, he was actually a pretty pretty good amateur. Yeah, pretty good amateur. Oh, that could be interesting. Um, lost to Frankie Gavin in the amateurs in 2005, I believe. Um... Yeah, he was, an, he was a 2008 Olympian. Boy, oh boy, he's turned over pretty late. Yeah. Oh, he, he he boxed Josh Taylor as well. Oh, and he boxed Lomachenko. And he boxed Jose Pedraza. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh, he beat Josh Taylor in the amateurs. Right, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. Dominico Valentino. Apologies if uh, if people know who that is. And uh, probably Luigi's probably, probably uh, thinking, hey, how do you not know who he is? I just I just didn't know who that guy was there. But credit to him. Um, right, that's it for that card there. Moving out now to Thailand. Obviously, the legend. The living legend that is Moon Moonsri. Known as a few other aliases. Don't need to go into them. This man is known simply as the legend. He defends his WBC world minimum weight title against Simpiwi Konko. 19 and 5. Moonsri looking to move to 54 and oh, The real Mayweather. Is in Thailand this Friday. Um, moving out now to Kazakhstan at the Balawan-Shalok Sports Palace. A brilliant fight over here, actually. When I say brilliant, that's, that's overselling it a bit. But Kana Islam, a guy who, again, is a, is a real good fighter to a certain level. Um, I want to see him stepped up. He's still undefeated, 26-0. and He puts his WBO international middleweight title on the line against Walter Kautondokwa. You might remember him. Um he stepped in when Billy Joe Saunders fouled the, the uh, the, the drugs test or whatever when he was supposed to take on Andrade and Kauten Dokwa jumped in there I think Andrade had him down about four times or something like that but Kauten Dokwa for how not so good he was he he was a real puncher I think he had about 17 knockouts from 18 wins when he went in there against Andrade that's his one loss so no shame in that um, that could be pretty interesting there in Kazakhstan uh, moving out now though to the O2 arena Greenwich London United Kingdom unfortunately I'm not going to be there I wish I was, but I got denied a press pass, so I won't be there. I'll be watching from my sofa. I'll be paying my 20 pounds pay per view. It certainly, 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 in my opinion, deserves at least that. Uh, on the undercard, Shannon Courtenay 3-0 also. Austin Williams comes over from the states. He's three and zero as well. Um, Abbas Baral seven and zero. He fights for the WBC International Super Welterweight title against uh, against John O'Donnell thirty three and two. Conor Ben was supposed to take on Laszlo Toff, which was going to be a good fight in my opinion. Conor Ben fifteen and zero. It is for his WBA Continental Welterweight title, but he now takes on a replacement. Um, what's the guy's name? Um Stefan Jamoy, I think it is. Is it is. it Steve? No, Steve Jamoy. I think they're two brothers, Steve and Stefan. One of them took on Scott Quigg a few years back. I think that might have been Stefan, but um it's, it's it's another step up to be fair. It is another step up. It's you know, he's moved. they're moving in the right direction, McConaughey. Ben. It's, it could be a tough fight, you know, he's better than the likes of that French guy whose name I've completely forgot at the minute. Um, Eves Ngabu, 20 and Ngabu, 20-0, and puts his EBU European Cruiserweight title on the line against Lawrence Akoli. Because there's so many brilliant fights, this one's really going under the radar for the first time. A lot of Akoli's fights have been big, high-profile fights against Chamberlain, against Askin, against um Watkins you know they've been they've been big fights against Camacho and here he's he's right down on the undercard against against Ungarbu, who's obviously the champion and he's a good fighter Ngabu. so that would be quite interesting we'll get to see um you know how good Akoli really is it's it's a step up from british level so it's going to be interesting there uh, Ricky Burns 43 and 7 with one draw takes on Lee Selby 27 and 2 we've gone to the predictions on this i talk to me Burns Selby great fight yes it's definitely
2: a brilliant fight Um, Ricky Burns versus Lee Selby yeah um, I think both fights obviously are coming to the end of their career so if I'm going to go with a win I'm going to go with um, Lee Selby to win on points and I think think Ricky Burns is is almost finished
3: yeah, popular choice, I, as the listeners have gone with the same thing, and so am I, to be honest. Uh, Lee Selby's a friend of the show, but not just for that reason. I think Ricky Burns has been done for a long, long time. Uh, Selby needs to improve, though, on his last performance on that DeGaulle-Ubank undercard. He did not look good against Omar Douglas. He said it himself. I think he, he had a bad cut early on, um, and he boxed pretty badly, to be honest. Obviously, Andrew Selby's been a bit... A bit, a bit hit and miss as well lately. As, as sad as it is to say, one of my favourite fighters. But um, yeah, big, big for Selby on on points. The listeners, sixty six percent, Burns on points, twenty nine percent. Selby by knockout, zero percent, and Burns by knockout, zero percent. Obviously, both men never been stopped. Ricky Burns is, is such a tough guy. I mean, I, I, I just can't see him getting stopped in his career. I don't think it's going to happen. I think he probably loses and retires anyway. So, perhaps it's a farewell for him. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I, as I'm going to go Selby points. If he's at his best, he should win. Uh, but you can't really count out Ricky Burns. You know, it's, it's <laughs> it is one of those weird kind of fights. Because they are nearing the end of their careers. You'd You'd like to think Selby's got more in the tank. But, um, yeah, it's a tough one. Because, again, Selby's only had that one fight at one... F- Is this at 135? I think it's at 135, or was it one... No, yeah, 135, this one. So, again, he's only had the one fight at 135, whereas Burns has been there for a long time. So, uh, you know, the weight, I suppose, favours Burns because he's really grown into it. But then again, as Lee Selby correctly told me, he's much taller than Ricky Burns, even though BoxRec suggests otherwise... Um, it can't be right all the time. So all of us there, clean sweep. Um, unanimous, I should say. Lee will be on points. Moving up the card once again. Derek Chisora, 31-9 against David Price. 25-6, and 6, 12 rounds. Will it go 12 rounds,
2: though? <laughs> um, 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 I don't think this is going to go 12 rounds, obviously. We've seen Derek Chisora versus David Price. This is going to be a very good fight. It's, obviously, it's basically like um, whoever finishes, whoever wins this fight will go on for luck to go up for like a motel whereas the loser is there's nowhere to go but if I'm going to go with a win I'm going to go with uh, Derek Chisora to win by knockout
3: again a very popular choice Um, we're all agreeing once again unanimous Chisora by knockout 79% 21% price by knockout not even one person voted for price or Chisora to win on points 0% Um, yeah I've got to go with Chisora by knockout I mean David Price looked good against Dave Allen. I've said it before. Chisora's a whole, whole another few leagues above Dave Allen. Um, Chisora's a tough guy. He's got a tough chin. Um, I think he's got a couple cracks in it nowadays. I think Dillian White to to knock him out the way he did was was quite a statement. Um, but I just think he's he's all wrong for David Price. He's going to overwhelm him, and even though David Price has looked all right in his last couple of fights, Cash Ali and uh, and um, and uh, Dave Allen, you know, I just don't think you know those guys are a big drop down from Derek Chisora and. You know, Derek Chisora should be near the end of his career. Dave David Price should be near the, the end of his career. I'd like to see the loser retire. It seems like a bit of a fashion this weekend with a few of the fights. Um, but yeah, you've got to go Chisora knockout. I mean, I don't, I don't think. No way in the world is it going to go the distance. Again, I don't think Price has got enough in the tank to just keep the keep the jab out and keep him at bay for 12 rounds. You know, he's not Dave Allen. He's a bit more creative. He knows how to slip a shot coming forward as well, Chisora. And it would have been a good fight maybe six years ago or seven years ago, but not now. So I think Chisora's got a bit too much left in the tank in terms of, you know, in terms of freshness, unbelievably. But, um... Yeah, you know, he's been in many tough fights. Chisora, every fight he has is is pretty much a tough fight, and he goes to the trenches a lot more than David Price. David Price seems to get a little taste of it, and you know, it ends badly quite quickly after. So, for me, it's a Chisora knockout, probably in in bad fashion, actually. Um, all agreeing there once again. Um Moving up the card once again to the main event, the most interesting one for me, and this is a fight that I have been so, so, so looking forward to. It, of course, is for the WBA Super, the IBF and the Ring Magazine Super Lightweight World Titles. Uh, Regis Progray 24-0 against Josh Taylor 15-0, over 12 rounds. Both men, incredible fighters. In my opinion, both men are number one and number two. There's a big argument. I think is number one. I think you'd you disagree. I think you think Josh Taylor's perhaps number one at 140, but there will be no disagreeing come Sunday morning. We'll know who the very best man is, and um, I don't think Jose Ramirez comes close enough to get in the top two. This is a super fight Like I say Two undefeated World champions Putting it on the line A little bit like Gvozdik and Baterbiev Last weekend Both undefeated champions In a unification It's, it's, it's a lucky time To be a boxing fan Because we're seeing Two of those fights In a seven day In a seven day period um, But yeah For me Regis Progray, I think, has just got too much in the locker, really, for Josh Taylor. I think Josh Taylor's an amazing fighter. I think he's a terrific fighter. He's massive for the weight. He spars bigger guys. I've heard he's he's had his way with super middleweights in sparring and stuff like that. That's just unbelievable. Um, you know, obviously, he's a southpaw, just like Progray. I think, at times, it probably will be a chess match. I think there's going to be a few rounds where perhaps not... not um, not loads and loads of actions going to happen. I think the first couple rounds are probably going to be feel-out rounds. Um, but I've just got this feeling that Gray will get to him late and, and probably stop Josh Warren, uh, Josh 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 Taylor late. I think that's what will happen. Um, but I could be wrong. It is such a 50-50 fight, in my opinion. Either man could win. I don't think Gray is going to get knocked out. I think he's just tough. I mean, I saw him. He invited me down kindly to the Peacock Gym last week. I think it was last week yeah last week I went and seen him train just me you know he's a, he's a he's a good friend of mine now pro gray and he just—he's just absolutely solid. There's not an ounce of fat on his body, and I saw a bit of his pad work. And I tell you what, he looks on fire. And honestly, he is such a brilliant fighter. I've been a big fan of him from from pretty much the first time I ever saw him. He he knocks people down for fun. Um, you know, he, he's got it all going for him. And I think I, I just think he's gonna do it. I think he's he's been a bit more impressive in his fights leading up to this than Taylor has in his respective fights. Um. I just think both men have got so much skills. I just think, I just think Pro Gray's just got a little bit more. I think he hits harder. I think he's probably a bit quicker, and he's just he's, he's he's strong as hell. He really is. Whereas Taylor's gonna try and have to use his reach, I suppose. But I just don't think he's gonna be able to keep uh, the little pit bull, the rougarou, off of him. And I think the knockout comes late on, but. I mean, I was torn between points or a knockout, but I think I'm just going to go with a knockout in the late rounds. Very, very big call from me, I know. Ayaz, how do you see it?
2: Um, I think it's a very, very difficult fight, right? Um, obviously, for I think the, I think it's going to be a very, very tough, tough fight. I think it's going to be a skill or masterclass fight between really Josh Taylor and Regis Progress. But obviously, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go back to i want to back the UK, man. So I'm going to go with Josh Taylor to win on points. Cause this isn't home. So I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going with Josh Taylor to win on points.
3: Okay. Josh Taylor on points. The listeners agree with you. Ayers, so you and the listeners, great minds think alike. Um, but yeah, just my last word on that fight. I think that, you know, it's just such a cracking fight. I hope that it gets the pay-per-view by the pay-per-view buyers it deserves. Hope everyone tunes in and enjoys it. It's going to be absolutely magnificent. Um, I was going to say something else, but I can't remember what it was now. I just cannot wait for that fight. There's not many fights where I'm just looking forward to it like a kid at Christmas, and that fight does it for me. Moving out now to the Reno Sparks Convention Center in Nevada, USA. Two last bills to go over. Uh, let's start with the undercard. Michaela Meyer, 11-0. She fights for the NABF female super featherweight title against Alejandra Zamora, 7-3. Uh, also on that card, Andy Vences, 22-1 and with one draw, takes on Mark Bernal there 19-2. That's a 10-rounder there. Uh, also on the bill, Joshua Greer Jr., 21 and 21-1 with one draw. He's in a 10-rounder against Antonio Nieves, a friend of the show. Greer Jr., he likes to bring out the pillow with a Z's on it. Um, Nieves, I said 19-2 two with two draws. That one's for the WBO, NABO bantamweight title and the WBC Continental Americas bantamweight title. All the best there to Greer Jr., um, top in the bill, though. Shakur Stevenson, 12-0, gets his chance to fight for the world title belt. It's the vacant WBO world featherweight title. He takes on at Gonzalez, 23-0. and um, Again, I said it on, I think it was last week's show, where Shakur Stevenson was on the show. Uh, you know, he's... He's he's fighting a guy here in Gonzalez who's not that well known to the UK fans, but he's actually a good fighter, Gonzalez. And if you listen to the interview, I even said it. I think Gonzalez has stopped all but one, or perhaps even all of the Southpaws he's boxed as a pro. So Shakur Stevenson's a Southpaw. He did say, "I'm not like those guys. I know what I'm doing in there. They're not me." Um, we chuckled about that, but no, it's a it's a good fight. It's a really good fight, um, and he he becomes possibly uh, the the youngest world champion in boxing right now. So, no matter what you think of Shakur Stevenson, he does have that superstar. There's something about him. He's, he's got that little little pinch of, of superstardom in his mixture somewhere. You know, he's something special about him. And if he wins, he becomes a big star there. It'll be his 13th fight. That'll be brilliant for him. Um, and finishing up, at the Santander Arena in Pennsylvania, USA, two fights to mention over here. Former world champion Robert Easter Jr. This one's really gone on, uh, gone under the radar. Friend of the show, Easter Jr. Twenty-one and one with one draw. Of course, that one loss came to Mikey Garcia. He takes on Adrian Granados over ten rounds. Um, Granados twenty and seven with two draws. Never really in a bad fight. Should be interesting. Like I say, massively gone under the radar. That one's on Showtime, by the way. Uh, top in that bill though, Eric's. And Lubin, 21-1, he's in a 12-rounder against Nathaniel Gallimore, 21-3 with one draw. Again, Gallimore, decent fighter to a level, but Lubin, when he was undefeated, big things were expected of him. He was going to be a future world champion for sure. And if he is still on track for that after the setback against one of the Charlo brothers, I think it was Jamel. um, If if he is going to get back on track, then he should beat Gallimore and beat him pretty well in my opinion. Um, I just quickly missed out there Shakur Stevenson against Joey Gonzalez I the final prediction um, I know you probably don't know too much about Gonzalez I'm going with Stevenson on points the listeners are going Stevenson by knockout I'm guessing you're also going with Stevenson knockout or points yeah I'm going to go with Shakur Stevenson by knockout of course Stevenson by knockout you're agreeing with me so finally there's one thing that we agree on there but that is about everything for the preview part of the show we've brought you the the first guest we brought you the, uh, the news we brought you part one and part two just before we wrap up the show entirely let's now welcome our second and final guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the undefeated and reigning WBA super lightweight world champion it is of course Mr. Mario Barrios Mario welcome back on the show my friend
1: Appreciate it. Uh, good
3: to be back. It's great to have you back, Mario. So we last spoke back in May. Uh, it was just after your brilliant win over Velasco. Fast-forwarding, though, to your world title fight that took place almost a month ago to the day now. The Staples Center on the Spence versus Porter undercard. You defeated Batir Akhmadov for the vacant title. Just talk me through the fight from your perspective. And um, after this, I want to I wanna tell you what I thought of it as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, Um yeah it's... Um, I felt, you know, I I box um Akhmadov, you know, in the on the early rounds, you know, then um I was able to put him down in the fourth and then uh he I mean he, he came on in the in the sixth and then in the later rounds, you know, you know, he was really you know um I mean he was coming with the with you know the next game plan, you know, that he had. Uh started suffering, you know, some uh, some swelling and a cut due to headbutts and um I mean, you know, I mean, then, you know, me and him were in deep waters, you know, and he still was applying the pressure. Um, I thought I, I had lost the the later rounds, but then, you know, in the 12th, I was able to put him down. I mean, to me personally, I mean, um, I mean, it was a hell of a fight. Uh, I had myself winning due, due to the 12th round. And then, um, you know, I mean, I, I was able to bring, you know, that world title home, you know, as I promised, you know, my city a long time ago.
3: I agree a, a million percent. That last round was, was the deciding factor for me, so I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that as well. I mean, the fight, though, you, you just started excellently. I mean, you showed a great, great, great jab. I was really impressed with a jab. You know, you were creative. You were attacking both the head and the body effectively. Um, perhaps most impressively, above everything, though, was you just seemed so comfortable in there in the early rounds. I mean, Akhmadov is a tricky guy. You know, he's got that amateur experience. He was, he was trying to apply pressure, but you were just too smart for him in those early rounds. How did you remain so composed early on? And, you know, obviously going into a fight like that without really that experience.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, uh, we in the gym with Virgil Hunter, I mean, we always work on, you know, um, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, um, I mean, I there was a lot of times I never understood what Virgil, you know, had meant by that. But, I mean, it, it's in fights, you know, like, like that one, you know, with uh, Akhmadov, you know, where it really sets in, you know, when uh, he's bringing all the pressure, you know, he's bringing everything, but I'm still able, you know, to to remain calm and, you know, and to pick my shots and, and do what I, I want to do, even though, you know, he's applying the pressure and he's coming nonstop.
3: And again, in that in that fourth round, you hurt Akhmadov early on. Um, you didn't, you know, you hurt him early on, but you didn't get reckless. You applied smart pressure. You didn't get desperate. You ended up forcing him to touch down. Um, if I had to... Throw one criticism your way. It, it just has to be. If I'm being honest, I think sometimes you just trade a little bit too much. It's like you you don't mind trading. I know that obviously you can punch your record. <laughs> your record shows that. But sometimes you know you you stay in the pocket a little bit too long. You end up giving away your size advantages, which obviously gives the smaller man a much better chance to land a big shot himself. Is that fair to say?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's very fair to say. I mean, you no, know, my my corner, you know, my uh, my team, they they know me as a fighter I am and um you know that's what they always try to tell me, you know, they they try to have me not sit in there but I mean uh that's the kind of fight, you know, I do love. Um, you know, even you know, even though my my corner doesn't, you know, I mean I get real caught up, you know, in trading punches, you know and and going blow for blow, you know, and a lot of times, you know, when I shouldn't. But I mean it just, you know, it's it's the fighter that that I am.
3: Yeah, for sure. And again, if if anyone that's listening to this interview hasn't watched the fight, you need to go and check it out. Um, As the fight went on, Akhmadov's constant pressure did eventually cause uh, cause Mario to to appear a little bit fatigued. You started to neglect your jab. It started to turn into a bit of a war. You had to dig deep. You had to show heart that you hadn't previously shown in in a ring under the lights. And if I'm being honest, Akhmadov was, was turning things around. I think you agree a little bit in those later rounds. There was actually a moment in between the rounds where I started to think, damn like have have you perhaps let you know let 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 go of your grip on the fight because again you started so brilliantly and his his pressure seemed to be getting to you um then like i say in the final round you pulled out that shot and it was just a sensational shot you dropped Akhmadov. he got back up but that one shot for me won you the fight again am i being fair with what i'm saying and have you had a chance to watch the fight back obviously you said you said you have i'm not sure how in depth you've watched it D- did you score it at all
1: yeah, yeah. No, I mean the the way I had it um, during the fight was the way you know I still had it scored. You know when I rewatched it, you know mm-hmm. I had myself winning. You know the first five rounds and then including the the knockdown, and then um, I had Acuna winning the others besides the the twelfth. You know I mean, um, like you said, I mean he really you know I mean he he brought the fight, and um, you know I mean I, I had to really you know dig down deep and you know make something you know that only champions uh, are are able to do make happen and uh i mean you know i mean i'd send my hat to him you know 100% um i mean i i i told him I mean, that's the fight. you know I, I do believe you know he he will be world, you know, world champion one day but uh, i mean i believe you know on fight night you know it, you know that wasn't his night
3: and obviously, no one knows you like you know yourself. We haven't obviously witnessed your sparring sessions. We haven't seen you take every punch that you've taken in your, in your career. We haven't seen you have to dig deep like that before. Maybe you've done it in the gym many times. Maybe you haven't. But I want to ask, did you find out something about yourself that night? Because you showed so much character. Did you ever have to show heart like that you know, before? Or did you really find out that you've got something that you perhaps wasn't sure you had?
1: No, I mean, uh, I, I've always known. You know, I mean, I, I've always told you know my fans, you know, the media. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm, a am a warrior, you know, which is why I gave myself, you know, the name El Azteca. I mean, you know, because it represents me, it represents, you know, the, the kind of fighter that I am. And, um, I mean, that's one one thing that was really good, you know, taking away from this fight, you know, I was able, you know, to, uh, show everybody, you know, I mean, cause I, I've been saying it, I've been telling everybody, but. That fight really, you know, it showed everybody, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's the first round or the 12th round. I mean, I'm going to stay in there in the fight regardless.
3: And it runs in the family because, again, your sister Selena in her loss showed courage that you almost don't get in women's boxing, if I'm being honest. I mean, she didn't take a, a backward step all night in that fight uh, that she had. And I'm going to say it now, Mario, I, I doubt you'll have a tougher fight in your life than that fight. I mean, it, it might seem early, it might seem premature to say that. I mean, you, you might not retire undefeated. You might you might lose at some point before you hang the gloves up in, in many years' time. But I honestly doubt you'll need to dig deep like that again. I think you've you've at least proved to yourself and to everyone else that you really can dig and and go into the trenches um do you believe though that that's that's a big learning fight i know a lot of people like to say you can learn more from a loss than you can in a win but i feel like even though you won the fight you're going to learn and improve so much on that
1: yeah no i mean exactly i mean you know coming from this fight we're able to look back you know look at what you know that the changes i should have made in there and um i mean i have no doubt you know i mean in my career you know akmadov you know is going to be you know a name you know that's always me brought up you know i mean by me and by anybody else you know as you know my hardest fight um i mean i know you know there's plenty of challenges ahead of me but um i don't know if any are going to present you know as much trouble as they did you know on fight night
3: yeah, well said. And how does it feel now to be a world champion? Has it sunk in yet? You're only 24 years of age, one of the youngest world champions in boxing right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it, it really didn't set in. I mean, until you know, I finally made it back home. You know, then uh, the amount of you know support and everything I received. Uh, I mean, it's been a it's been a, you know remarkable uh, remarkable here in San Antonio. I mean. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, it finally hit me, you know, man, I'm a world champion. You know? This isn't, you know, only just San Antonio. Like, this is worldwide. Like, I'm I'm one of the best in my division.
3: <laughs> you certainly are, my friend. And uh, obviously, it's still kind of early days. Um, have you got any idea when you're next going to be in the ring at all, or is it still a bit too early?
1: Uh, still a little bit too early, but I mean, we're looking at um, early next year. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: And a big fight that's coming up this weekend. I'm sure you'll be tuning in somehow. Uh, Taylor against Progre. It's, it's it's a brilliant fight. One I'm so so looking forward to. I feel like a kid at Christmas. Um, who wins for you in that fight, Mario? A lot of Americans don't seem to know too much about Taylor.
1: Yeah, um, I actually, you know, I I favor Taylor. Uh, I, I believe you know if he can you know just avoid you know uh, the big shots, uh, or the big awkward shots that Progre's um that he throws. I mean. Uh, I believe Taylor, you know, he's a he's a more superb boxer. Uh, I think he has more like a higher boxing IQ. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I I favorite Taylor, but I mean, progress, I mean, he's a dangerous puncher. You know, he's real awkward. You know, he has boxing ability as well. I mean, so I mean, we just have to see, you know, how the how the fight, you know, how it plays out.
3: And my final question for you, I'm asking this to everybody at the minute: Joshua versus Ruiz. How does that one go? The rematch in Saudi Arabia in December to to, to cap off the year. It's been a eventful twenty nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I mean, of course, I mean, I'm um, I'm leaning with uh, Ruiz, but um, I mean, you know, I believe, you know, I mean, Joshua, you know, he's really going to come, you know, prepared. You know, he's going to make sure, you know, he, you know, he goes back and you know, he corrects all the mistakes he made in the first fight. And um, I mean, I, so I mean, I believe you know this one is going to be a more um, a more intense fight. You know, even though that first one, I mean, it was had everybody you know out of their seats. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the me person, I you mean, know, I'm I'm leaning with the uh, with Ruiz again.
3: Yeah, a lot of people agreeing with you. A lot of people. And uh, just finally, Mario, if you've got any closing words just to our listeners before we let you go, if you want to send the final message at all, take it away. Yes,
1: yeah. uh, I mean, appreciate you no know, anybody supporting on you know, um, any new supporters.
3: Well said. Listen, Mario, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Congrats once again on achieving a world title, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime in the new year, my friend.
1: We definitely will. Thank you, man.
3: Okay, and this wraps up episode 210 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the reigning WBA Super Featherweight World Champion, Andrew Cancio, and of course, the reigning WBA Super Lightweight World Champion, Mr. Mario Barrios. The Prediction League currently stands at myself in the lead on 18 points. Ayaz and you, the listeners, are joint second with 12 points, but remember, there are another four points up for grabs this weekend, so best of luck with that but that is about everything from me remember to tell a friend to tell a friend thank you all for listening enjoy your weekends people and we shall see you all again next week